Welcome to the Fertility Podcast, where we aim to educate and empower you on your fertility journey, whatever stage you're at. I'm Natalie Silverman, a broadcaster and fertility coach, and I had my son after successful fertility treatment. And I'm Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant. We'll be your trusted guides, chatting each week with experts and people just like you to let you know you're not alone. Let's dive in. We're really pleased to have Fertility Health sponsoring this episode of the podcast. They are shaping the future of female fertility by providing their diagnostic hormone and fertility tests, which you can do from the comfort of your home. And I've tried it and they are so easy to use. Now it's a tailored test to support you wherever you are in your fertility journey and give you a really clear insight into your reproductive and hormone health, which is what we want, isn't it? The first thing to do is you have a virtual health assessment which takes into account over 1500 variables including your age, health, background and important lifestyle factors and then this information enables their system to select a panel of hormones that will yield the best results for you on your path to parenthood and then they'll send the test that's specifically for you to your home where you just collect a small blood sample, I did it, was dead easy so clearly laid out what they send you you do this little finger prick and then you send it to their accredited lab cool hey next what happens is fertility's doctors will review your personalized online report which gives you really clear insights into your ovarian reserve hormones ovulation and most importantly helps to highlight any fertility red flags and you know what's brilliant because they want to make sure that you receive this information and then know what to do you'll get it all explained from their in-house experts in reproductive medicine fertility gynecology pcos and endometriosis which all happened virtually so all you need to do is go to fertilityhealth.com use the code that they've given us on the fertility podcast which is fertilitypod15 all in capitals and you'll get 15 pounds off their services welcome to another episode of the fertility podcast i've launched straight in because kate and i have had a crazy day it's mm. at two from last week you'll know that kate was kind of in a hunger daze i don't know what the opposite of hangry is you were like just slightly dazed it's like i was do you know what when we were talking during the brute too I actually felt that you know when you faint and you get that black area around the outside in your vision tunnels I had that a couple of times oh and it literally goodness. is because I forgot to have breakfast completely forgot and then um it was what two o'clock by the time we spoke so and I'd only had a small amount of cheese and biscuits for for dinner the night before oh. so yeah I know oh. the stores were low but you pushed on through and that's yeah. how dedicated we are to you dear listener and thank you as always for your support for letting us know how you feel about the podcast we've had some lovely lovely feedback um I had somebody during a conversation that I was on for Queen Mary University which was um a really interesting workshop where the researchers were sharing their findings to understand about the impact of the visual technology that you you experience when you're going through IVF and somebody sent me this lovely message to say how the podcast had helped them through dark times oh that's lovely and I was they sent me a private message because it was a zoom conversation and I was like don't make me well up whilst oh, I'm presenting yes and that's not good did you read it did you, did you read it while you're presenting because that's a bit of, I mean it's yeah. a lovely message to receive but quite off-putting yeah <laughs> well I was well because we were asking for um audience participation so I wasn't sure if it was an actual comment that was to be shared but it was more oh. to me so thank you for sharing that with me and for all that you let us know is that catkin I can hear I'm so sorry yes it is do you know what when we were we've we've literally just been interviewing and I'd push the door to, but not quite. And while we were recording, I literally couldn't stop laughing because I 
she would you know when you're trying to push something you're trying to get around a corner and she was trying to kind of like like I, i'm kind of doing it's craning her head craning my neck yeah because i can see each other you clearly can't see me but she was literally <laughs> craning her neck to get round through the door it was hilarious it looked like oh. a comedy <laughs> pets are welcome the conversation that we were just having is the one that we are about to share with you because as part of this facility matters at work series what we're trying to really capture come on catkin Sorry, do you want me to get, do you want me to get her out? Bell. It's fine. It's only a anyway, bell. it's festive. It's exactly. festive. Oh, jingle exactly. bell. What we're trying to capture is a range of conversations. The importance of having this conversation from a patient point of view, from from a medical point of view, which is what Kate has been um, sharing. We've had the legal viewpoint. We've talked about the mental health implications, and then we've been hearing from organisations themselves in terms of benefits that they have been experiencing, the feedback that they've had. And so, what you're going to hear is a conversation that we have with the Bank of England, who is one of Kate's clients, and they have been talking about facility for probably the longest period in terms of the conversations we're sharing on the podcast. So it's a, a good year that they've been having this chat. And we won't go into it in too much detail now because you're going to hear us talk more about it. But Kate, from from your work that you've been doing, and I'm, I'm delighted that you know, you've got to share this because I know it's something that you're really proud of and I've been like part of the journey with you as it's been progressing and, and I know that you were really pleased that it, it did progress. It wasn't just a one-off conversation. And I think that's a, a really important part of this, isn't it? That, that these things take time to implement. They really do. I mean, I, I think I started my chats with Bank of England must have been autumn of last year and it's taken a long time to get to where we are now. But what we've achieved has been incredible and what they've gone on to achieve as a result well you're going to hear all about it but it's amazing I'm I'm so proud to have played a very very small part in all of that. So we're delighted to welcome Anastasia Vinikova to the podcast. Anastasia is the well-being lead at the Bank of England and we're going to find out more about all the great work her organisation have been doing to become more fertility friendly. Anastasia welcome to the fertility podcast. Hi thank you for having me. Well I'm really pleased that you agreed to chat with us and I'd love to start by hearing what prompt you to reach out to Kate because I know you've been working with her for pretty much over a year now and I'm just interested how the conversation came about was it something internally from people coming to you had you done some research to find out the topics that people wanted more support with so I think we're quite lucky at the Bank of England in that although there's still lots more to do and you know the the journey isn't complete we've had quite a good foundation in the well-being space. So generally, of course, there's some exceptions, but generally across the population, there's a good level of education, understanding about some of those kind of core principles of well-being. And what that's meant is that over the last couple of years, we've had a good opportunity to expand some of the topics when we are talking about well-being into understanding people's specific contexts, what kind of life events they're going through, And starting to talk about some of those topics that, you know, in the past, we didn't really talk about societally and specifically not in the workplace either. And I think that the topics of fertility and infertility and things like baby and pregnancy loss certainly fall into that category that it's time that we talk about them. But I think it's taken us, you know, a journey as an organisation to really have those roots in well-being before we thought that actually we're in a good place to really kick off some of that education and some of that action in that space. And so with that in mind, 
Was it more that you were just having this broad overview or had there been any people coming forward asking for more support and you felt you weren't equipped to help them? I think because of the wellbeing journey that we've been on, we have a culture where colleagues feel quite empowered to talk about some of the things that they have going on in their life. So certainly I cannot take credit for, you know, the beginning of this movement. We have some wonderful colleagues who felt that they were in a space where they could be open and honest about some of the journeys and experiences that they had. And of course, you know, as a wellbeing function, we are more than happy to take that on board to listen to people's experiences what it is that they need from the organization so that we can start to build some momentum along this movement and we're also very lucky that like lots of other organizations we've got some wonderful employee networks so we have um, a network called the parents plus network specifically with the plus so that you know it's holistic and inclusive of different types of families or people looking to build families Um, and they've done some fantastic work uh, you know in this space Um, and also our women in the bank network our mental health network so it very much has been employee-led but hopefully because of a culture that's been created where people feel empowered and able to start asking for these things and sharing their experiences and and ready for us to jump in and kind of support from the framework piece. And that Anastasia is one of the reasons why I was really keen to talk to you because having had our chats and our conversation I was really aware of the great work that the Bank of England are doing and particularly surrounding your networks and the peer support. Since our kind of conversations and the training that I did for your peer support network how how has that translated how has further support been implemented has has anything come off the back of that kind of what's been what's been happening more recently yeah so I suppose for the benefit of context um, at the bank we have a peer support network so the idea is that we have listening volunteers who have some level of, of training and education and provided to them by our people and culture function. Um, but essentially, they are individuals that are happy to share experiences and stories that they've had and act as a non-judgmental listening ears for others who might be in the same situation and just want to talk through what they're what they're going through and think about what kind of support and next steps might be available for them. And we invited Kate to provide some training for our peer supporters because although we had some peer supporters there that were already open about their own fertility journeys, there were others that were being approached just because they were a familiar name or somebody resonated with that mental health experience that they had had that was nothing to do with fertility. And we wanted to make sure that those peer supporters really felt equipped to step in and have those conversations, to know what to say, to know not what not to say, um, but also to think about what's the next steps, how do you signpost people to onward support. I think since then we've um, had quite a lot of momentum in our journey around uh, the topics of fertility and fertility um, and baby loss. And I know that they are all very distinctly different, but I think because we're at the start of our journey and there is some overlap across the three, we do kind of talk about them um, in the sim- in the same grouping. We've set up a community for our colleagues where they can share their experiences, where they can talk about, um, you know, resources that they found helpful, just somewhere that they can go where they know that there are like minded individuals that will be sensitive of the experiences that they've had. So that's been absolutely fantastic. And we've thought about the sort of frameworks that we put in place for people who have some of those experiences, particularly around pregnancy and baby loss. We've been looking at the frameworks around pay and leave and things like that when you um, experience such traumatic um, event in your life. 
Um, but also we've done a lot of education. So on top of kind of um, what Kate has provided us for our peer supporters, we've also extended that separately to managers. So thinking about trying to equip them to know what to do, because really often they are that first port of call. They are that sort of first line of defence. And it's important, you know, for the experience that you have in the workplace that managers do feel equipped to have those conversations. And then more broadly, what we've seen, which has been absolutely fantastic, is both partly curated by kind of our working groups and our networks, but also completely voluntarily. People have been sharing their experiences through blogs, through an internal podcast that we have, through events that we've been running. People are really opening up and sharing their experiences. I think hopefully for the benefit of themselves, partly as well, I think it could be really therapeutic to talk about something that you've been through when for so long maybe you've kept it inside. But also for the benefit of others, because I think, you know, with this topic, it's so easy to feel that you are alone. Um, But when you hear others talking about something similar, it can be really empowering that actually you're not on your own and there's somebody out there that maybe in some small way understands what you're going through. Yeah, totally. And this is what we're all about. And it's so brilliant hearing. You're you're like just the best case study of why we're all on this mission (laughs) to try and get this kind of work happening. Because as you say, people are then feeling empowered because they feel that the, the cultural shift is there and they can speak up. And when one person speaks, it opens almost the floodgates, but in a, in a positive way for other people. I just want to go back a few steps to what you said about the emphasis being on, on the training that, that Kate has, has supported you with in terms of line managers, because a lot of the conversations we've had have talked about how people's experiences can be so dependent on that line manager conversation, whether that person is open to it or dismissive of it and how it all goes. And I'm just interested in whether there has been any resistance, whether there's been challenges that you, you've had to work a bit harder to overcome. Because again, when people are so busy and there's so much with this well-being conversation that has to take place this is just one element of it we're very aware of that but it's still so important and recently on the podcast we talked about management just having that awareness that maybe somebody isn't on their a game for example and because the the education has has taken place that that person knows maybe there's been a conversation maybe there hasn't but there's an awareness that this might be something this person's going through and and that all just helps make the work environment so much easier for for everybody really I mean it's a tricky one you you're very kind to say that we've been doing um, good work and I think it's important that we reflect on some of the positive movements that we've made but we are you know it feels like we're very much at the start of our journey there's still a long way to go to have complete organizational awareness around this topic I think managers have a really difficult job. They have so much to balance both in terms of the outputs that they have to give the organisation, but also all of the different things in the wellbeing space that they might need to offer support for. So, of course, we definitely have some more work to do around how we educate our managers. But I think what we've tried to do is have sort of a multifaceted approach to it. So, um, you know, we've had the training with Kate that's available for people to watch back if they didn't have a chance to do it on demand. But also partly the education that we've provided for our peer supporters, for our mental health first aiders, for our well-being champions on this topic hopefully also means that if a manager hasn't engaged with the topic before, there are other places that they can go to ask for some support, to ask for some guidance on how do they deal with it, what are some of the signs that they can spot. And equally for the individual that might be having that experience, their manager isn't the only place that they can go if they do feel that actually they're having a hard time dealing with it, even if you know, another service is a stepping stone for them feeling confident to have that conversation with their manager. 
And equally, I think having opportunities in different spaces to seek information. So, for example, we've also, our Brilliant Parents Plus Network have a toolkit that they created, which is providing guidance, not just for individuals going through fertility challenges, but also for managers. You know, there are different areas where you can look for that support, whether you are a manager or whether you are an individual going through something. So um, hopefully it means that, you know, whether it's that you set some time aside to sort of preemptively do some learning or whether it's that actually reactively there are some spaces where you can get some of that quick fire information just to make sure that you can handle the situation as sensitively as possible. But I think, you know, we had our first huge kind of you know movement towards um fertility awareness week last year and that was big for us that was you know we had done sort of trickles of things in the past and and last year it was the first time where we kind of really wanted to market in a really big way and this year we've built on that and it was hugely successful but I think we're kind of getting into the groove of this being a consistent thing not just something that you think about once a year but building some momentum. So I'm quite excited to see where we go from here because we're starting to kind of build some really good foundations with it. I think it's so interesting that you say about um, that employees, it isn't just the manager that they can go to, that there are other places that people can go to support. And I think often, and we had this, we've had this conversation just recently in an episode that's coming out about the NHS and um, coming out shortly. And it, it's so interesting that I think as an employee, you automatically think that it's your line manager that you can go to. And that if your line manager sadly isn't supportive, then you're really struck, stuck. Where else can you go? But as you say, there are so many different avenues. And I think if you aren't getting the right support from your manager, it's really important to look at these other avenues of support because there is so much more out there, for sure. I think, as you know, that you, you're doing an incredible job at the Bank of England and what you've done already. And I'm super impressed comparatively to what we hear from a lot of organisations. So I think you absolutely do need to reflect on that. And you've mentioned about kind of the excitement of going forward and what might be in the future. What do you see happening in the future or is it too early to say yet I think that what's important for us is understanding why some people haven't engaged with the topic so far so I think that there's still a level of education to do around you know so far it's maybe been people who have direct experience or perhaps those that have indirect experience but it's still a topic that's close to them and I think as you both will know kind of all too well the challenge with this topic is that the taboo and the stigma that has existed means that actually sometimes we don't know how close we are to those who are going through these challenges. So I think that there's something about really making sure that as an organisation, more broadly as a society, we understand that this is something that will affect lots of people. And that's why there's an imperative for us to act on developing ourselves to be able to learn how do you offer support what does it look like what might somebody be going through what can you do to help them and also because just because you haven't experienced it yet doesn't mean that you won't come across somebody close to you that will experience it in the future or you know if it's something that you experience yourself so I think that there is something that's really important around that education piece I think that you know we're not quite there in in the holistic way that we would like to be And part of that might be trying to understand why it is that some people don't engage with the topic. I know that there can still feel like there's a bit of awkwardness to talk about it. It's something that can be very intimate and personal and just understanding what are some of those obstacles. And then, you know, is there something that we can do organisationally to make sure that as few of those barriers exist as possible? And then it's down to individuals if they want to engage or not. 
conscious not everybody will want to be vocal about the experiences that they've had that comes down to personal choice but I think that there's still some way for us to go um, in the education space but beyond that I suppose you know the, the the ideal situation would be that everybody knows how to deal with it, where to go for help and to understand what kind of support is available for them or for somebody that approaches them who might be going through these challenges. I think that that's, you know, ideally where we would like to be in the future. I think it highlights that this isn't just a, we do this, we tick the box, we've done it, we move on. I think it highlights the need for this to be a constant part of the wellbeing programme within organisations because if somebody might not engage now, like you say, it might become relevant later. The fact that somebody doesn't know if they feel comfortable at this point in time, this may change, somebody may leave, someone else may come in. And so I think the fact that it, it just becomes a part of the conversation is so important here and and really good to hear that you know you did the work around fertility awareness week and then carried it on and that whole kind of ongoing like program of events that are relevant to this conversation because of the the many different ways that it affects people it's not just for example from a heterosexual point of view and we, we we've got you know the emphasis on on the lgbtq community whether the, there's women who are thinking about solo motherhood there's all the different ways that past the parenthood look that we want to ensure the organizations understand as well so i think it's great that it's ongoing work as you say i'm also interested what your advice might be to other organizations who are wanting to become fertility friendly in terms of the challenges that you know you might have had to overcome we touched on a few of them because you know we're here saying you should because this is why and this is what we can do from your point of view when you were you know initiating these conversations if there was any resistance to it being a part of the conversation that other people might relate to when you know they're trying to bring this to the table I think the biggest difficulty is really understanding that most and I would actually say probably all well-being challenges don't just stop the minute that you walk into the office or the minute that, you know, if you're working remotely, that you log in to work. So there is this um, necessity, I think, for organisations to understand that even if conversations in the past have felt uncomfortable or it's felt that, you know, they've been taboo or stigmatised, we do have to put some effort into getting past that because ultimately... I think there should be, you know, the moral imperative, of course, you would want to support individuals who are going through fertility challenges, you know, that hopefully is just human nature. But also organisationally, you just don't get the same out of people if they have so much on their plate that they don't feel able to deal with in an effective way when they don't feel supported. And, you know, you kind of mentioned intersectionality, the impacts of going through infertility and the challenges that go with that are so far reaching beyond just the physical side of things. You know, there's a psychological impact. So you don't want to add to that burden by, you know, not making sure that somebody is in a safe environment. Yeah, so I think that, you know, it's a topic that for a long time, societally and within organisations has been taboo and has been quite stigmatised. And I think it's important that organisations put some action into overcoming that because we can't wait for that to change. We have to really ignite some change ourselves. I think that that's really important. And I think there's a moral imperative. Surely it's the right thing to do to want our colleagues to feel comfortable and safe going through something that is so difficult, um, you know, outside of work, because you don't just leave the, the door when you start working. But 
we also have to think about the fact that, you know, there's also the the business imperative. We rely on the performance of individuals. So we would want to ensure that they are able to go through such a difficult circumstance feeling supported. And we were talking about the intersectionality piece before. It's people's different experiences and the impact that it can have on their mental health, for example. It's not just something that you experience physically. So ensuring that we can make sure that colleagues are at their best and able to perform their best both because it's the right thing to do and because organisations will benefit from it. But I think organisations just have to go for it. There, there is some discomfort initially when you talk about it, but I think that it really is one of those topics that builds momentum once you provide people with a safe space to engage and interact with the topic, to feel supported, to open up about the experiences that they've had it really starts to snowball and you get feedback from the individuals who go through these experiences too that can help inform and guide what you do as an organization I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all it really depends on the sort of culture that you have within your own company Um, and it's good to be guided by the people that you know you are offering the support to and and that will come with time and and we've heard about people talking with their feet and we know that you know this type of support is being implemented in organizations like the Bank of England and we've had other examples on the podcast so far we've talked to Channel 4 Um, we've got a conversation coming up with the NHS about changes that that need to happen there we've talked to Southeastern Rail very different environments that are looking at this conversation and realizing that it, it needs to be part of their culture as well. And I think for people to think that it's not relevant to them, whether they are in a male dominated environment or not, because as I'm sure you are fully aware of Anastasia, it's a, it's a 50, 50 issue. And we've talked about all the different ways it affects people. So it needs to be factored into the conversation. So thank you so much for sharing your experience and your insights. And I mean, it sounds like, you know, I don't know whether you've already clued up on, on this as a topic or whether it's from the journey that you've been on, you know, through the workplace that you're totally kind of empathetic around it. And, and I think it's just great to hear when we talk to organizations that, that they do get it and that people can feel safe with what is still a very difficult topic for so many to, to talk about in the workplace and that's why we're having this conversation anyway so so thank you for sharing what you have thanks for having me wow I mean I was really impressed with Anastasia as I said just then I don't know whether she had an understanding of the issues around you know fertility related struggles or that's from the work that she's done with you but if she was somebody who I was going to have to go and speak to in the workplace I'd feel really comfortable and, and confident that she got me so I think you know all credit to her and, and, and to you I guess. Well I don't, I don't take any credit for it and like I said I think it's the great work that they they've been doing but um, Anastasia's been a, a dream to work with and they as an organisation have been fantastic and that's why we wanted to talk to them didn't we because I, I came to you and said look this is evidence of best practice and I'm 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 just delighted that what they're doing is going to hopefully pave the way for better employee well-being when it comes to fertility in the future at the Bank of England. And I think what we'd say is that if you're listening to this and you've been listening to this series and you're trying to kind of maybe impact the the shift in the conversation where you work, then share this episode. Um, Because I think if an organisation like the Bank of England who 
you know, from our perception of them might seem quite old fashioned. They're obviously really trying to push forward the the well-being initiatives and ensure that, that people feel better supported. And And I think that you know, as we've said, as an example of best practice, then hopefully, and, and obviously, if, if you're a small organisation, then you might think it's a funding issue, but it doesn't have to cross the earth to implement some of these changes. The peer support side of things is um, is, is a great starting point, because we say time and time again, that, that policy isn't the be all and end all of this by any means. Yeah, not at all. And, and as we said, you know, it's all about changing culture. And if you can open up those conversations and destigmatize them, and what do we say on the podcast? You Usualize, then if you if you can usualize these conversations, then you're you're starting to change culture and that is so much more significant than a policy. Finally, you can follow at Fertility Matters at Work to get in touch with what we're doing. You can follow the Fertility Podcast at Fertility Poddy. And you can follow me at your fertility nurse. Thank you as always for your support. And until the next time, 